0: Welcome, adventurers. In a rundown cabin in the woods, a band of thieves celebrate a job well done with the help of a new friend. Joel Riggedy's Speaking Stone Studio presents <laughs> Tales from the Dungeon. They toasted Jobin and his masterful plan. They toasted Beta and her skilled sabotage that had delayed the wagon train's departure. And of course, they all raised a glass to Snare himself, newest member of the Weir Claw, the name this particular band of criminals called itself. They drank heavily and talked of what they would do with their shares. At least all the others did. Snare pretended to drink. And when he did... It was always from the potato vodka, never the rum. The self-congratulations and revelry went well into the night, but one by one, all fell into a drunken sleep. A particularly deep sleep. Snare had spiked the rum with a draught he had bought two weeks ago from an alchemist. It was to help sedate farm animals in need of medical care. Snare wasn't sure why he had bought it at the time, but as he pretended to sleep, back pressed into the corner of the room, he pondered what a good purchase it had turned out to be. He gave a loud snort as if he had startled himself with his own snoring and pretended to adjust himself. His eyes opened a moment to survey the room. Jobin, who had been the last awake, finally lay face down on the table and passed out on his share of the gold. During the night's partying, Jobin had split the gold into six neatly stacked piles, each slightly smaller than the next. Seniority, he had said. Each was paid according to their seniority. Snare, having just joined, was due the smallest share. And of course Jobin, the leader and mastermind, got a share that was noticeably larger than the rest. That may have been all well and good for the others involved, but the way Snare saw it, his contribution to the job was the most important. And so he was going to distribute the funds, as seemed fair to him. After waiting a quarter bell to be certain all were asleep, he rose, silent as a bat. To the table he went, and out came the bag. Let the distribution begin. Carefully and quietly, the stacks of gold went back into the bag. When the easy pickings were cleared, he crept close to Jobin, who lay atop his pile. Like a game of pick-up sticks, Snare began to snatch gold from near the snoring man's face and arm that curled round the loot, one piece at a time. When 1,733 pieces of the 2,056 coins were back in the bag, Snare had picked all the gold he could from beneath Jobin without getting him to move. He considered moving the man's arm to get the 20 or so coins trapped beneath, but then thought the better of it. Consider it a bonus, Snare thought. A finder's fee, if you will. And with that, he looked around the room one more time, nodded, and crawled out the shuttered window. In the darkness outside the cabin, Snare breathed in the cold night air and considered what to do next. He could steal one of the horses, but it would make him easier to track. Thugs and want-to-be thieves, this band was, but woodsmen they were not, so he did not make his way south to the skip, instead heading deeper into the woods, north and east. He would put some distance between himself and the cabin, and find a place to hole up for what little remained of the night and the following day. The tale his father told him, although not particularly impressive, did seem to have some legitimacy. The same group of four or five ruffians had been seen about Ubato several times over the last two months, identifiable by the large claw they all wore about their necks, the tip of which had been dipped in red paint, to imply blood. They tended to drink at the slop bucket, a disgusting bar at the east end of town, where a mug of ale, if you could call it that, could be had for two coppers or a pitcher of the same swill for four. It was mostly frequented by professional caravan guards and wagon drivers who were on the road the better part of the year. Townsfolk down on their luck could be found there as well. If you were having a bad day and needed an inappropriate way to blow off some steam, say, in a bar fight, the slop bucket was your place. Orteval was pretty sure the slop bucket was the only reason ubato had a marshal the only reason it had a jail cell. This group of ruffians who called themselves the Weir Claws. Orteval had rolled his eyes when he heard this name. The Weir Claws? Seriously? It sounded like some angsty group of musicians likely to play in the college district of Jamato. Had started more than one fight at the slop bucket and actually hurt a few people quite bad. The marshal had been called to confront them and no one in town knew exactly what happened, but the gang of thugs had left unpunished, and the marshal was none too keen to talk about it, instead warning people to steer clear of them when they were in town, but would say no more on the matter. His father was afraid if word got around that you could do whatever you want in Ubato without repercussion, or if others had mind to join these weirclaw, that caravans would start taking the long way around through Jamato and that business would dry up that's not going to happen pops ortoval had assured his father i'm not going to let that happen his father smiled in relief and reached out to squeeze his hand ortoval asked how long it had been since any of these weirclaw had been to town his father thought two days ago three maybe one of them had been skulking around town in the daylight i'll head over to the slop bucket tomorrow night And see if I can learn anything more. Orteval gave a weak smile. I'll hang around town until this is dealt with, Pops. Can't have some two copper criminals ruining the reputation of the best rock this side of Jumato. His father smiled and laughed. Better, better than Jumato. Sure, Pops. Now, I've been on the road a spell. I'd like to get some rest. It's been a while but I presume you still know the way to your room. It's ready. It's always ready, his father said in a half-hearted attempt at humor. It stung a bit to hear. Thanks, Ortoval said, and made his good nights. As the light faded, Snare made his way out from his hiding spot. Roughly ten miles east of the cabin, pre-dawn light pushing into the sky, he had found a small outcropping of rock that formed a passable lean-to. Double-checking his tracks were covered, he had made his way in and slept most of the day, rising but a bell ago. What next? Thanks to the generosity of the weir claws, money would not be an issue for some time. He was out of rations, so finding provisions soon would be a first priority. From here he could head due north through the forest until he hit the burning road. And then where? East to Jomato. There was a lot there, but it was also expensive. And the city's thieves' guild was not keen on independent operators. West then? Into Erdwind Vale? Talk was that Pendleton was becoming a proper city. Whether east or west, following that route, it would be a day or more before he came upon a place to buy provisions. Snare hated being hungry. He couldn't be more than two bells from that wagon skid mark of a town where he met Jobin. He could stash his take here, pop into town for provisions, and be out in a blink. Then tomorrow, north to the burning road. And then... West It was time for something new He would go west And see what this Erdwind Vale was all about But not on an empty stomach Back to that town Ubato. Though it was where he met Jobin and the gang Given their narrow escape The robbery was certainly discovered at this point There could be no doubt The caravan personnel would be back in town Trying to track down info On who might have been involved so Jobin and his crew would have to be a pack of idiots to show themselves for the next week or more. It was perfect, really. A jaunt into Ubato it was. Ortoval pulled on his chain shirt, wiggling to let it settle, before taking up some of the weight and fastening his belt. He slung his mace from his hip, after a moment of further consideration, he grabbed his shield, pulling the strap over his head, so that it rested against his back. He felt a bit ridiculous arming himself for war, to take a stroll down to the local dive bar. But if any of these Claw happened to be there, there was good value in the power of intimidation. He was a veteran of the Knoll Wars, and wore his armor well. The presence of a trained soldier was all it took to get some would-be miscreants to roll over and show their bellies. Down he went from his room above the diner. At the bottom of the stairs, he considered. He could head out the back door unseen, not make a big deal of his departure. His father deserved better. Orteval turned right instead, pushing open a door that led to the dining room. The dinner rush was in full swing just as busy as the night before. Orteval made his way toward the kitchen and caught his father's attention. Turning, his father paused, looking him up and down. His face beamed with pride. The noisy diner had grown much quieter. He didn't need to turn around to know that people were looking at the fully armed man near the kitchen. There would be stories about this for weeks, floating around town. I'm headed over to the bucket, Pops. Ortoval tried to keep his tone low, so half the restaurant didn't follow him over. You want to eat first? You haven't had any dinner yet, said his father, with no attempt to keep his voice down. No, pops, I'll eat something when I get back. And without waiting for any further pomp and circumstance, he made his way to the front door, and out. It was not quite full dark yet, but lanterns were lit and the street was still fairly busy. Ortoval took a deep breath and then stepped onto the road, turning east, beginning his ten-bar walk to the slop bucket. Everything was going smooth as a river rock. There was no evidence that anyone had been anywhere near his hiding spot during the day and by himself he traveled easily through the woods to town. In the fading light it had grown colder, so making his way to the general store, hood drawn, did not look suspicious at all. A week's worth of food now purchased, he moved out into the street. He should head back now, back to his stash for the evening, he thought as he gnawed on a piece of jerky. But an ale or two in the belly would be nice. He looked down the street Less than a hundred paces away to the east, on the side opposite from him, was that run-down tavern he had drank in when he first came to town. He had lightened a few purses there. It was poorly constructed, wood walls dirty and warped. Instead of a bright lantern out front, there was a candle sputtering in a dirty glass jar. From a wood arm that protruded out above the door hung an old wood bucket Snare took a moment to observe the street. Nothing out of the ordinary. No one showing particular interest in the gnome standing on the porch of the general store. An ale it was. He stepped down into the street and made his way toward the tavern. He paused at the front door to look at the street once more, and then headed in. Inside the tavern, it was darker than the falling night outside. Candles and jars, like the one outside, sat on the various tables and booths. Though maybe only one in five was lit, the bar was shades of dark gray to near black. Though Snare could see it was all of wood construction, it seemed that everything from tables to walls, from ceilings to the floors, had a hundred layers of grease and dirt ground into them. It reeked of stale sweat and ale, Though there were patrons at some tables, Snare did not stop to look around. In a place like this, a steady gaze often led to a fist in the face. Instead, he made his way to the bar, pulled himself up onto a stool, and lifted his hand to the bartender, holding up one finger. Ten beats later, a wood tankard of the same color as everything else was plunked down in front of him. He pushed two coppers across the counter, the barback grunted and scraped them off the bar. As Snare took a swig of the bitter ale, the door behind him opened, and then closed, and then a voice. Well, hello, my little rat. The promise of pain simmered in Jobin's words. Out of his peripheral vision, Snare saw several others stand in the bar. Huh, he thought, as he swallowed the ale, and placed down his mug. His first assessment of Jobin and his crew was correct after all. They were a pack of idiots. Ortoval was not opposed to the odd seedy tavern, but as he approached the building that appeared more like a shadowy stain on the side of the road, he had no idea how anyone could bring themselves to drink here. A few more paces brought him under the old bucket that hung above the door. He swung it open and stepped in. Having expected nothing more than the dank atmosphere of the slop bucket, a few conversations with grouchy customers, and the inevitably tight-lipped bartender that came along with such places, a chill ran down his spine as he stepped right into the middle of an obviously hostile situation. Ten paces ahead... Near the dirty bar, a tall man with a leather jerkin held an emaciated dwarf. No, a gnome off the ground by his neck. Other patrons cowered as far from this scene as possible, but there were four or five others that stood, hands on weapons. Ortoval felt the rush of adrenaline that came before a fight and forced it into a readied calm. Eyeing those standing, he noted, They all had one thing in common. They wore claws with red tips about their necks. It looked like he would be dealing with his dad's concerns sooner than expected. The different paths of Snare and Ortoval have led them to the same tavern in the little town of Ubato. Where will they go from here? Stay tuned next time for the conclusion of Restless Spirit.